Hello, and welcome to The Call to Pop. My name is Brian Stevens, and with me is... I'm Drew Mastrelli. I'm going to suck the Pope's dick. <laughs> okay, yes! <laughs> oh, man. that I... I I felt like that was gonna come. Um, oh wow, we're really we're really off to a good one, Drew. That was gonna come. Um, let let me cook. <laughs> I didn't know it was gonna come so quick. Oh wow, uh, how you doing, bud? You know, uh, sanded a house in the rain today. Sitting in my basement on the couch. It's been a pretty good day. You know, it sounds like an Otis Redding song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Sanding yep. on the house in the rain. Watching the ships roll. Anyways, um, what, what many listeners don't realize is that as much as you hear Brian sing on this show, uh, I hear him sing far more when my microphone doesn't work <laughs> when we first start the Skype call. <laughs> this is true. I like to just uh, burst into song because my voice is uh, is terrible. Uh, my wife always complains about my singing, but hey, you know what? Um, I was told that you know God doesn't care what your voice sounds like as long as you use it. That's what I was told. Straight up. Preach, brother. So, you know, I'm just going to let it loose. Um, weren't you in a band in high school? I was in jazz band and marching band. And no, no, I know that. But weren't you in like a, a ska band or something? Ska band? No, I was I was never in a ska <laughs> band. <laughs> what are you talking about, Brian? <laughs> oh, now I'm digging up the, the secrets and, uh, and, and, and now Drew's de- denying it. I, I think I have evidence I in, somewhere. I the Mighty Mighty Boston's. <laughs> How do you feel about Ska? Are you a fan of Ska? Do you think it should come back? Um, I mean, like, I know there's, like, a, a Ska revival happening right now. I haven't listened to any of it. But, Is you there know, really? I, I, I don't know. I saw, like, a video on Twitter about it the other day. <laughs> but, you know, I like a lot of Ska adjacent stuff. Like, I'm a big punk fan, so, you know. I, 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 have, yeah. I have Ska sympathies. I, I actually really like Ska. Like, I, I think there's something about a good horn in a rock song. That just oh, absolutely. turns it up for me. Um, the, the problem with Sky is uh, you can only go pretty much like happy, right? You can't really like do like a sad song or like a just a, a total rock out like song. You know what I mean? Like there's pretty much one I mean, tempo. There's, there's some like a uh, some some screamo vocals in some Sky songs, but yeah, uh, you can't. It's hard to make a a trumpet sound depressing in a Sky song. I don't know. Right, right. Um, it makes me think of, um, uh, I don't know why, I just thought of this, but um, uh, La La Land, right? Mm. When you know, Oh, fucking John Legend's yeah. shitty band. God, <laughs> yeah. that song sucks so bad. It is so bad. I like For the most part, I like the music in that movie. I and mean, I think the, that's sort of the point, is that that song oh, is kind of supposed to suck. you think so? And like, well, because he's like doesn't want to be in that band. He's like, right. eh, I'm I'm a jazz pianist. This is fucking bullshit. Yeah, um, that song's terrible. Yeah, and I hate John Legend with all my heart. Um, really, that's I didn't. know 2019 that. People Magazine's World Sexiest Man. Wow. He was Dude. my uh my close competition. <laughs> I'm a little bitter about it still. Uh, that's that makes sense. That's why you're yeah. upset about it. I I didn't know you had this vitriol towards uh, John Legend. Not so nice to know. I, uh, Completely unfounded on anything. Um, I just don't like how he looks. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He just got, he's just got that smirk that you just want to smack off his face. Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, friend of the show, John Legend. Yeah. What's up, Drum Johnny boy? Shitless pal. <laughs> Jeez. 
Oh. We're getting we're we're getting somewhere today. Yeah, we are. Uh, we do have a pretty excellent show for you. We um I, th- to be honest with you, Drew, um because the title of this episode is going to be uh, the review of of the movie that we're reviewing, and I feel like probably ten people have seen this movie, so we're probably no one's going to listen to this episode. So who cares, right? We just it's also going to sound like your suicide note. It is. This is true. Um, so. <laughs> The uh, the movie that we're going to review the future. Well, let me hold on. Let me back up. Let me set up the show. So we, we are going to kick off the show with some emails. We got two emails that I'm going to read from. Um, I believe they're first time emailers, which is awesome. Um, and then we are going to have some media hot takes. Drew has a couple. I have a couple. And then we are going to review. I am thinking of ending things. Charlie Coffin's new um, masterpiece um, of of depression and horror. Uh, a new Charlie Kaufman joint. Yeah, a new Charlie Kaufman joint. Um, and we did you watch? Did you get a chance to watch it again? To rewatch it? I did. I watched it um, mostly last night, then Same. partially this morning. Uh, yeah, I, re- I well actually I started watching it. What is today? Friday. I started watching it on Wednesday, and then I finished it on Thursday. I'd already seen it, but um, I really wanted to pay like really close attention to it. And uh, yeah, I have I have some thoughts. So, anyways, Drew, let's hop on the good foot and do the bad thing. Um, the first email comes from Tommy, and he says, "Hey there, Cult of Pop. This is my first time writing in. I really enjoyed the show." Uh, my first episode of listening to you guys was the review of The Last of Us 2. I can't agree more with what the previous emailer said about the ending, but I also understand where Brian was coming from. At the time of playing the game, I was a little confused about the ending. Uh, I do recommend replaying it. My question for you guys is this. What is the best game to replay? Thanks, uh... Tommy. So Tom, Tommy wants to know what what is the best game for us to that I guess our favorite game to replay. Does that make sense? Let's see. Because <clears throat> okay, so I feel like based off of what he's talking about earlier in the email, he's talking story wise. But I don't think I've replayed that many. I think I've played like Bioshock twice. I saw mm-hmm. like that's probably. But most of the games I go back to again and again are like skate three <laughs> yeah like, uh i don't know played a lot of call of duty modern warfare the beginning of quarantine when i was depressed and not turning in any of my schoolwork. so you know um there's three for you yeah. uh yeah so i think um actually the first last of us is the game i've probably replayed the most uh, i played i think i played that game three times total yeah. um bioshock as well um. Yeah, it. I think when it uh, honestly in the history of all games, the game that I probably replay the most though is probably Resident Evil Two. Um. Have you gotten to the remake yet? I haven't, and I know that I heard I it was excellent. Yeah, which I don't have. I don't have any excuses. I should. I should have, and I don't know why I haven't. Uh, I talk. We. I talked with. Um, Chunk the Punk on the Afternoon Yap. Uh, we we talked about uh, Resident Evil. Um, we talked about horror games in general and uh, a while ago, and that was um, that's a big one. That it's it's a blind spot. I know. I mean, I love Resident Evil too, so I'm sure the remake is awesome. But um, yeah, that's probably the game that I would say 
I I I love uh I love that survival horror genre. Um and then I have you ever I, I guess the other thing is I mean, like you said, he's probably talking about story-driven games because, I mean, obviously there's other games that you just play all the time, like, you know, sports games or fighting games or Mario Brothers or something like that. But um, Wolf Among Us is a game that I have played through twice that I really enjoyed. So Uh, I've never asked you, do you like those type of games, the the Telltale games, which... I have played the first season of the walking dead one i think and i don't know that i touched any other ones they're kind of did they get delisted i know telltale doesn't exist anymore yeah, but yeah. um i don't know if you can still buy those older ones you know what i don't know if you can or not that's a good question i that would suck if you couldn't i you know telltale they had the, they had kind of cornered the market on that type of game and they just they blew it they started rushing games out um and well, not got so many licenses too they had game of thrones batman guardians of the galaxy like a million things running at the same time where it was like yeah no way to sustain that and the all those ones that you mentioned were absolutely terrible <laughs> i play any of them the the walking dead game was really good and then the wolf among us was excellent um wolf among us is probably the best obviously of the but man the batman one was terrible and uh the game of thrones was like embarrassing and it, like yeah. it you know, anytime you try to like the you make a side path to a larger narrative, like it has to be really good. Star Wars has done. We're going off on a tangent here, but Star Wars has like done a good job in some of their video games of like, um, you know, this happened in a different place and different time than the the movies. Whereas like the Game of Thrones stuff, it's such a like small world if that makes sense you know what i mean yeah like everything's connected it just it doesn't work well in in something like star wars too you can justify it because you have such a such a rich lore behind everything and a fan base that's like actively craving like oh no tell me like every minor detail about every guy in the background and that culture doesn't really exist around like game of thrones and stuff like that so right that's true too yeah that's a good point all right well thanks tommy for the uh for the email um we have one more email to read and this comes from alex alex says brian i was following you on twitter and i saw that you made 31 horror movies in 31 days i was pretty excited to follow you because that was one of my dreams of of, of doing that wait i'm sorry this sentence is that has always been one of my dreams is i guess what he's trying to say here uh can you please tell me what was your favorite and least favorite films that you reviewed or watched? Uh, what, what made you, how did you choose the films and what made you do this? Um, Drew, did you follow along? Did you see what I was doing? The I was, I was, I saw him on letterbox, saw him on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, so I've done this before uh, to varying degrees of success, but I really, I really wanted to bear down and do this, uh, for, for those of you who don't know, I watched 31 horror films in 31 days, and let me tell you, I would not recommend anybody do this. So, Alex, if this is your dream, um, I mean, <laughs> by all means, do it. It's if that's your dream. Um, <laughs> but it was pretty rough. It was uh, honestly one of the more monotonous things I've ever done. So that's why I, I like tried to switch it up a lot. I didn't, you know. It can get pretty bleak pretty fast when you're watching horror movies every day for 31 straight days. But, uh, 
yeah um i would have to say like on rewatch um my favorite thing and you'll you'll like this is the thing uh, rewatching the thing i was just like man this is such a good movie and um kurt russell was just he's so good and kurt russell should have had the career that harrison ford had i agree I totally he has the same like uh i don't know like every man charm kurt russell rocks he is really one of my favorite actors like just going back and watching some like they're like a movie a movie like um um big trouble in little china is so mm-hmm. stupid and silly but he is so charismatic and the, the the dialogue is so cheesy but it comes off so sincere um or like escape from new york he's es- great yeah it. another another one um but uh yeah that uh, that's probably the one that like sh- struck me the most like i watched a lot of movies and there was movies that i was surprised about the haunt was a was a movie that i was like whoa i wasn't expecting the haunt to to be that good but um there was also a ton of movies that I rewatched that um, that surprised me, either good or bad. But the movie that I probably, uh, man, there, there wasn't a movie that I would say like I absolutely positively hated. But the movie that I probably would never watch again is, and and this is this sucks to say because I'm a huge fan of uh, of Robert Kurtzman because he is. From my hometown, and he's done a lot of work. But the Wishmaster, Wishmaster. Speaking of Jen, we talked about genies earlier. Uh, it's just so bad, man. Have you ever seen Wishmaster? Have you heard I have of, not. Have you heard of Wishmaster? Do you know what it's about? I think I heard about it because you said something bad about it after you watched it. Oh man, that movie <laughs> is just so terrible. It is like, yeah. it was. Yeah, I mean, it just it's nonsensical. Like even within the realm of like the the horror genre you know you have to take some leaps in logic in most horror movies right i mean it's uh you know somebody gets shot seven times they're probably not getting up and walking you know trying to hack you up but this movie was like he the only way that he could um hurt you is if you asked him to and so it like he would it, you got this monster standing in front because he he looks like a monster and he, he's standing in front of you and he's like would you like me to go away and they're like yeah and he goes well just ask me and they're like will you please go away and then it's like oh he turns you into a metal b- ball and I, it's just so weird it's just, it's terrible and the, the for somebody who is staked their claim robert kurtzman on being the best uh, effects person in Hollywood, the effects are not always great in that movie. So, I might I recommend for when you watch Thirty One next October, <laughs> the Bye Bye Man. Have we talked about the Bye Bye Man? No, we haven't. And I, I honestly forgot about that movie. Uh, you've seen it. I have seen. Yeah, I, th- I think I've seen it twice. If I'm being oh, honest. Lord. Um, oh Lord. Well, oh Lord. It is like. It's one of those, it's like almost in the tier of, and I, I hate talking about the room because it's like talked about to death, but almost in that tier of just being like so fucking dog shit that it's amazing. Um, uh-huh. yeah. Don't think it, don't say it. <laughs> God. Oh man. That is, uh, that is like, I remember that coming out and just thinking to myself how, like there I don't know how much they spent on that movie, but there there's so many 
films and scripts, even in the horror genre, they're just floating around, and somehow that movie gets made. Uh, there are how many homeless people in America, and we're spending money, money. on Bye Bye Man? <laughs> Come on. We can't, we can't buy it. I will... Uh, one thing I do want to say, kind of going back to like the uh, the core of this email about this being like the dream, like I want to watch 31 horror movies in October. In my experience, anytime I've been like, let's see, we'll use we'll use Resident Evil for an example, because oh, yeah. I I was not procrastinating watching them, but I kind of like crunched a little bit towards the end right before we recorded that podcast. Yeah. Um, nothing makes movies less fun to watch than making them homework for yourself. Yes, I agree. Um, and I've kind of found, cause even like when I worked at the movie theater for like four years, I was like, Oh, I like this movie came out. I have to go see it. And then you just end up hating almost everything you see. And like, you forget that you like movies. But then once I stopped doing that and like only watch stuff that I thought was going to be like cool and good, um, it's way more enjoyable. So just like, you know. I'm not. I'm not saying don't do it because like you do you, man. Um, but <laughs> you yeah. you could not be more correct. And that honestly, when we were you know this podcast has been going on for five years uh, in one phase or another. But when we did the midnight film review, Colin and I, there was a time where I was like, I hated every movie that we saw, and I not maybe not hated, but I didn't. There was like a stretch of time where I was like, I didn't like this movie, and you know. A lot of it was because I had to go see it because we had to review it because we were doing it for the podcast and it really became tedious and I was like, I need a break and you really do. You have and it, you know, people who listen to the podcast may be like, what? You're just seeing a movie and you're reviewing it and it's like, you know, I'm totally with you, Drew. Like if you if you want to do this, by all means, do it. I go for it. But somewhere around the 20, 20th day. <laughs> It was like, all right, I'm not just picking random. I'm there. I'm looking for movies that I really want to either rewatch or see. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, if you look at the last half of, of the reviews I did, they're either movies I had never seen before or movies that like I had seen, but I hadn't seen in a long time and I wanted to rewatch. And, um, you know, like, so just for instance, like movies that I had seen before, um, the Thing, The Witch, In the Mouth of Madness, The Mist. I gave those all really good grades. Movies that I had like wanted to see that I never saw before. Dead Heat, two and a half stars. That movie was not good. Um, you know, Crimson Peak. I rewatched that, which that was like the worst movie I, uh, that I could have rewatched. By the way, too. I love Guillermo del Toro, but that movie so it just was rough. Um, but anyways, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy to think that somebody would really want to do that again. Like, I'll never do that again, to be honest with you, Drew. <laughs> like, it was, uh, yeah, that, you know, plus that I, sense. I, I tried to write a written review for everyone and my, it, like my, there were nights where like my, my brain was just going to mush. You know how hard it is to do that every day? It was, it was, a I, but at, at a certain point I was like, I have to do this kind of thing. Well, because when you're in it so far, you can't just, like, pussy out. If you're, like, 10 days deep, you're like, I've already done 10. i got to do another 21. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know what? Honestly, I found some gems. There's movies that I probably would have never watched. I, like, The Haunt. I would have never watched that movie uh, in a million years. Dance of the Dead? Never. Which I think you should watch Dance of the Dead. Um, because I think... You're not a huge horror fan, are you? I... I am becoming more of a like a weirdo horror fan. Are you okay? I watched um this is gonna be a media hot take. I decided to talk about something else. I have two. Um watched uh, House of a Thousand Corpses on 
Um, oh. My girlfriend's recommendation. Okay. And that movie is fucking awesome. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, I, I just, like, I love how everything in, like, Rob Zombie's movies look like all the costumes and like set designs look just a step above stuff you'd buy at spirit Halloween. (laughs) But there's so much like love and care and like respect that goes behind everything. Cause I I think I said this in my letterbox review. Um, but like there's a lot of horror comedies like cabin in the woods or Tucker and Dale versus evil where it feels like they're like, and I like, I like both of those movies quite a bit, but they're taking the piss out of horror without really like it never feels like they're celebrating it and rob zombie clearly has so much respect for like the aesthetic and the like culture behind horror yeah um and it comes through in in a lot of his movies and i think house of a thousand corpses is so fucking cool yeah i um that movie i think um has me uh i love that movie until probably the last 10 minutes Um, oh like it, it gets like dumb as hell yeah, and it's such a I I really think it's a really cool um, send up. Like I, th- you know, it's it. There's a lot of things that it, um, it builds off. Like you said, like there's there's lots of influences in that movie, um, and it, you ha- you obviously have to watch The Devil's Rejects next, right? You're gonna watch mm-hmm. that next, correct? I I got a DVD set from Walmart for like four dollars that had The House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. Nice, okay, and yeah, Three from Hell. Which uh, I, I haven't seen Three from Hell yet, um, and that was actually I thought about watching that for thirty one days, but um, I Th- Devil's Reject in my opinion is a much better film um, as far as like filmmaking goes, but it's not nearly as scary or as like a, much of a horror film as um, House of a Thousand Corpses. Mm-hmm. Um, the beginning of House of a Thousand Corpses is just like the first fifteen minutes of the setup. It's just so good. It's so good. Like, I, um, like you said, the beginning it, of that. Oh, sorry. No, I say like you said, it really like you can see his his love for horror. You know, at the beginning, I was like, "Wow, that guy looks a lot like Rain Wilson." Then I checked IMDb, and I'm like, "Oh, that would make sense because it is." Um, <laughs> yeah, and also, um, uh, what's his name? The podcaster Chris um, Hardwick is is in. Oh it. Yeah. yeah. You're like what? friend of the show, Chris Hardwick. Friend of the show, Chris Hardwick. Um, yeah. All right. So let's speaking of mini hot takes. Let's uh let's move on. You have um, you have two two mini hot takes, correct? I do. Do you want me well, to start? Yeah. You go ahead and okay. You you, you so, one of these is a a movie that I've like been championing for like well over a year now that nobody's taken my recommendation on. But then I also have uh, Borat subsequent movie film, uh, recent release, uh you know twenty twenty film, um. And it's it's fine. Um, I think the first Borat is one of the funniest. Like, I don't know. Like, it's it's a movie that you know dudes will sit down and be like, yeah, Borat. Never can agree on it, and like for good reason. Borat's fucking hysterical. Yes. Um, but it also feels timeless in a way that Borat Two already does not. Um, like Borat Two came out before the election and like pretty immediately before the election and focuses pretty heavily on the fact that it's coming out right before the election. Yeah. And I can't imagine a lot of it aging well at all in, I don't know if I sat down and watched it right now, I'd be like, Oh yeah, it feels like we're kind of like already past this as 
a culture where everything's like remember to go like the movie ends before the credits start rolling with like vote or get execute or something like that um <laughs> which is like sure it's funny and i think there's like the opening credits of the movie i think had me laughing just as hard as anything in the first movie um just much like really really funny back-to-back uh gags that that he was doing but everything else is pretty forgettable um and again it's like it's hard to replicate the magic of the first borat because i think yeah i don't know that was like such a specific time for that movie to come out and hit as well as it did and to have the cultural impact that it had and everyone can walk around and be like my wife very nice (laughs) um and everyone's like ah yeah borat but like it feels like there was about two nights of at least like in what i was seeing of like people talking on twitter um about two nights of people talking about borat too and then everyone forgot it and now i still see references to borat one just about every other day so yeah right um yeah it like it's still not not worth watching like if you enjoy if you enjoy borat you've already probably seen borat too um but yeah it like it feels like it's trying a little too hard to right. like have the edge did you watch it no i haven't watched it yet but that's what i've heard like everything in honestly uh i love sasha baron cohen from like back in the day and but i don't know there's something about him that's kind of just kind of worn on me to be frank with you like i feel like um it just doesn't... He does yeah he carries this like high and mighty attitude about himself where it's like like just like you can be funny and you can also like because borat one also has like some pretty political scenes in it and I'm oh not, sure yeah i'm not trying to be like oh you can't you can't put politics like the fucking national anthem scene in borat one <laughs> is like one of the most brutal takedowns of like george bush <laughs> in any piece of yes. media from that time and it's hysterical um but yeah it just it feels a lot less edgy and more just like try hard now in a way that's like kind of disappointing to see. Yeah, that and that was my point. Is like it feels like kind of uh, stale in a way, and even with his when his like there was there was some you know I I don't want to I don't want to completely shit on you know um, I'm trying to think of the the show that he did like, Who Is America Yeah, like th- there was some funny good political satire stuff in there, but a lot of it just felt forced and a lot of it felt mean spirited. And I'm, I don't, I'm not the person that's like, Oh, mean spirited. Oh God. Quit being a, you know, I'm not that like, I, you know, I just feel like sometimes, um, when you interject so much ideology into a character, um, and so much, um, when it's so one-sided, and I don't even care about I, this, is probably coming out wrong because I don't really care one way or the other. But I just think that sometimes it's just not funny because it's easy to kick somebody who's. It's it's e- <laughs> I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. It's e- the, it's low-hanging fruit. How about that? You know, yeah. I'm trying to play. I'm trying to be nice here. It's 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 low-hanging fruit, and sometimes, and that was kind of like some of the problems that I have with. Uh, I'm going way off, but like some of the SNL sketches over the last couple of years, it's like when it's that low hanging fruit, like it's not smart or witty. It's just kind of like, okay, you're, you're beating a dead horse almost here. And I don't it's like, I think the only, and I'm not trying to do more media hot takes here, but the only two good, like, cause like we're talking about like ultimately like Trump satire. Right. Yeah. Um, here. 
I think the only two people who did it well uh, was Tim Heidecker in Mr. America. Oh, God, yes, yes. The movie he did last year, which isn't explicitly about Trump, but his, like, on-cinema universe yep. character is very much a Trump-like figure. And, like, I was listening to an interview that he did um, on, a, on a podcast earlier last week, and he was talking about that. And he's, like, uh, talking about the, the Four Seasons landscaping. <laughs> thing that happened he's like yeah that's something we would have wrote for mr america yeah. but would have been way too on the nose to put in there um and then the other is um i don't know if you're familiar with vic burger i know yeah i know who vic burger is but um I... just like does like very well edited um cuts of like trump speeches and like among other political figures but like the only two people to do it well because they recognize like the absurdity of it and aren't trying to like do an impression um or to, yeah. try, or to try to use it to, like, open up an eyeball or something. It just, I don't know. A lot of it, like I said, it comes off stale, and it's just, I, I don't think, it, like, you mentioned it not aging well. Like, the first Borat is so fresh to me, and so, so like, just honest, honest is the best way to put it. And it's like, I don't know. It's kind of, it's almost like a, I don't really, what I don't know the right term for this kind of movie, but, like, um documentary style uh, mockumentary it's one of the best in terms of of that like the first yeah board. And that's also just like my favorite genre of comedy um like my my love of nathan for you is yeah. well documented right on... i'm with you that's i love i love when people don't know when they're not in on the joke it's, it's some of my my favorite comedy as well yeah. um i also like i love my favorite character is ollie g <laughs> Like, okay. I, I know that's like maybe the, an unpopular thing, but when he interviews people as Ali G, it's like one of my favorite things. Um, just to watch people hear this guy ramble on it's, but anyways, yeah, sorry. Uh, all right. So that was your media hot take. Uh, um, I'll go and then you have another one. Correct. Correct. Yep. All right. Uh, so I want to talk about, uh, the haunting of Bly Manor. Um, you, you familiar with, uh, the haunting? We talked about it briefly after we recorded last week oh that's right yeah yeah so i uh i finally finished it um the haunting of hill house was like one of the best things i've ever seen i'm just gonna be frank i think mike flanagan who is creator of the series he's uh written and directed some pretty in my opinion stellar horror films um uh he ouija uh origin of evil hush oculus um and then uh, Dr. Sleep, which I haven't seen Dr. Sleep yet. That was on my list, but, um, I think he just, he's really, uh, he's really insightful in his writing. He didn't work a whole lot on Bly Manor. And I think it kind of shows it's a definitely a different story than Haunting of Hill House. Um, it's a lot slower paced and it's not as in deep, I guess. And it's more of a love story. So the first series was more about grief and loss and mental illness where this is more about um love and loss but not in the same way it's more about um i i don't really i don't want to spoil anything but it's there are relationships that uh shouldn't be like there's some it's set in the 80s so there's some like taboo relationships if you will and somebody's dating a ghost <laughs> that is that is true you spoiler alert um but there's just there's some really interesting themes that go on in this and it doesn't have the same punch that 
that Hill House, that last episode of The Haunting of Hill House, I like, I cry every time I watch it. Um, this is more of like a, oh, kind of thing. Like, oh, this is a, it sucks, but it's so sweet. It, it kind of, it's a weird ending. Um, and I think that the twists and turns aren't as, are, they're a little bit more obvious. Uh, I picked up on them pretty early on um, versus The Haunting of Hill House. And it's not nearly as scary, but it is much creepier in that it, uh, it works in a, in a lot of different ways. But the performances in, in it are just awesome. So uh, a lot of the same people came back to play different roles, obviously. Uh, this is more of a, um, uh, what's the right word? Uh, it's not an anthology series because they're not really related in any way. Um, but it, I guess it kind of is. But anyways, um, uh, Victoria Pedretti, who plays um, Danny, she's the lead. She is absolutely phenomenal. Like, just, just terrific. Like she, she carries a show on her back. Um, and then Oliver Jackson Cohen, who plays Peter, uh, who is somewhat of a villain, is terrific. Um, but probably the best episode and probably the best performance is Tania Miller, who plays Mrs. Gross. She's like the lead uh, housekeeper. I don't really know. She's the lead help of this Bly Manor. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I never really recognized her in anything. I don't know that I've seen her in anything, but she is fabulous in this. Um, and if there's no other reason to watch it than to watch her episode, uh, which you'd probably be lost if you just tuned in to watch her episode. But I know she's been on Doctor Who and she's been on a few other things, but I... I was blown away by her talent, and um, yeah, I, I recommend this if you like the first one. It's worth a watch. Um, it you go in expecting something different, though. Just know that it's not the same as Haunting of Hill House. This is a love story. This is a story about um, being different and um, not looking for acceptance. So, yeah, Blind Manor on Netflix. Watch it. Drew, go because it goes. Yeah. Um. You want my second? Yeah, fire away. Okay. So this is a movie I probably watched. And this is, um, I guess we were probably going to talk about it uh, more towards the end of uh, this episode. Um, wait, hold on. Can you talk for a second, Brian? You made a pause. Yeah, hold on. Okay, never. Okay, now we're good. Um, okay. Shit, I'm sorry. Um, the Okay, so one thing I am working on currently, uh, started playing the game last night, but I'm, I'm going to be uh, writing up a review for the new Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Holla! Our first um, video game review. That's what's up. Um, it, it, it is something else so far. I, I have a lot of thoughts, and I'm like <laughs> two hours in. Uh, <laughs> at any rate. Um, but I was thinking, like, okay, what are, like, some some really interesting, like, Cold War movies that because I, I want to add just like some some supplemental viewing uh, hmm. lists at the end of the review. Um, and one of those that I immediately thought of, which is probably not a movie that anyone listening to this has seen or whatever. Like no one's seen this movie and it frustrates me because it's so good. Uh, Vice put it out. It's called Operation Avalanche. Um, oh, OK. It is a semi found footage thriller comedy about um <laughs> two guys tasked by the cia with faking the moon landing oh wow it okay is genuinely one of my favorite movies of all time I, it is like so immensely rewatchable to me and just like it's, it's just such a good time 
Um, and you know, like by the end of it, it's like not super funny. Cause obviously like shit goes really bad for him. Um, but they're like, well, I'm not going to spoil it. Cause I think it's, it's, it's genuinely so great. Um, it's not streaming anywhere. So, you know, rent it. Cause I don't know. They filmmakers here probably deserve your money. <laughs> um, uh, it is funny cause, uh, one of the, one of the main actors is very clearly Canadian. Um, and does not try to disguise his Canadian accent, despite the fact that he's like a CIA agent. But if you look past just that, um, <laughs> I, I think Operation Avalanche is one of the one of the best times you can have at the movies if you're if you're asking me. And I don't want to say too much because it's like pretty quick and it it's just like very exciting and really riveting and super fun. Yeah, it's only an hour and a half long. Uh, this I had never heard of this. I don't believe that you've mentioned this uh, before on the podcast. Probably not. Um, Matt Johnson is the is the director and the main dude. I was blanking on his name, which is why I didn't say it earlier. Um, also did this movie called The Dirties, which is about... It's the same cast. Way darker of a movie. It's kind of like a... It's another found footage thing, but more in the vein of, like, we need to talk about Kevin, if that was a okay. comedy. Um, oh, wow. okay. but it's like it is it is like sillier than that uh-huh. movie but it's like dealing with some like very dark shit about like school shootings uh, also like i think it's excellent um yeah i i think his directorial sensibilities and just like the films he writes are so great but operation avalanche i think is like far and away the best of those two movies and i would strongly recommend it to anyone listening because it's great wow thanks dude that's cool i love hearing about new things that i've never seen or heard before and uh that topic of faking the moon landing is something that i think is hilarious and i want to check that out for sure so i appreciate that no problem uh it does say here that you can watch it uh on imdb tv if oh shit anybody has that um, you can, if you guys want to come over to my house, I have it on DVD. There you go. That's awesome. Um, uh, so in the future, so I'm going to plug a couple things, uh, after this, actually th- we're going to just meld this. So you mentioned that you are, uh, you're going to write, um, a review of call of duty for us, uh, the new call of duty, which is awesome. You know, uh, thanks for doing that. You also have something else that you're going to talk about here in a minute. Uh, we have a podcast that we're planning on doing of our five favorite directors. N- not necessarily one through five, but just five directors that we love uh, and that are favorite. And we're going to break those down individually. Uh, there might be some overlap. We might have some of the same favorite directors, which is fine. But one director that you had brought up is maybe on your short list. Um, and spoiler, don't know if this is going to be on anybody's list, but it's Michael Mann. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to close out Michael Mann's filmography because uh, he is, I think, um, a terrific director as well. Uh, some of his later stuff, Black Hat and uh, Public Enemies, hasn't hasn't been received as well. But um, I'd never seen Thief, and it's a movie that's really, really hard to get a hold of. And it actually popped up on HBO Max uh, earlier this month. So I was like, oh, sweet, I'm going to watch it. So uh, I watched it two days ago. And it stars James Caan as Frank. He is the uh, main character. But this cast, and I honestly, I didn't know anything about this film. Um, I had heard, obviously, good things about it. But do you know who's in this cast? Do you know I him? don't really know. So um, Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson is in it. Jim Belushi. Uh, Robert 
Prosky, you may not recognize the name, but I guarantee you'll recognize the face. He's um, he's he's in a lot of National Lampoon stuff. He's okay. an older guy. Uh, Dennis Farina is in it, and then uh, Tom Signorelli, who is another person that you don't know by name, but you'll definitely recognize his face. He's uh, been in a lot of stuff in the 80s particularly um but anyways it's just a really unique cast and it's a really unique film um it's it could be monotonous in another director's hands but some of the shots like just the opening scene i'm just gonna give you the, the opening scene it's not a spoiler or anything um and i had heard that um the dark knight kind of uh, not ripped off the opening scene but kind of like took some of the because they're not really similar but like took some of the beats and action uh ideas from it oh much like i mean another michael mann film but like the heist scene from dark knight is just like a scene from heat yeah right yes yeah that again that whole movie actually is compared to heat a lot um but it's you know he's cracking a safe in the beginning of the movie the movie starts out with james con cracking a safe and the camera goes from like intense on his face to um his partners in the car looking out back to him and it's got like a point of view of the drill going into the safe and him it's just it's super tense right off the jump for no reason and you don't even know what's going on i mean there's no setup it's just like that he's cracking the safe and you can tell he's doing this job um and that's pretty much how the whole film is it it is um it is a really 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 good film i don't know if it's man's best, but you can definitely see, um, you can definitely see the building blocks of what he would become later on in his career with movies like Heat and uh, maybe Last of the Mohegans with just the ability to build character. I mean, he is just, uh, I think he's a definitely an underrated director, uh, and we'll obviously talk maybe more about him in the future, but I highly recommend if you have HBO Max or you have the ability to see Thief, if you haven't, uh, I mean, it's it's one of those films that I think um, probably doesn't get talked about nearly as, as much as it should. So, I think uh, that's that's the case with basically every every Michael Mann film, yeah. except for Heat, because Heat is just like kind of him doing Scorsese. Yeah, there's like nothing wrong with it. I think Heat's like a, a fantastic film. Um, but I don't. What I admire so much about Michael Mann is that he like kind of takes like his use of like digital photography in like his later career like fucking like the opening scene of miami vice is one of the yeah. weirdest things i have ever seen in my life it like yeah, i totally if agree. any other director was shooting it it would look like shit because it's like super grainy he's like shooting it on a camcorder same with a uh, collateral it's like looks like it was shot on a on a flip video um but somehow he like makes it work really well and creates these like really really cool um shots out of like the limitations of what he's deciding to use. Yeah, Michael Mann is one of the masters, I think, of, of tension and like crime thrillers and what a guy. Yeah, and it's really weird too. Like if you look at his his filmography, he obviously is pretty selective in mm-hmm. his filmmaking. But he goes from the thief to the movie The Keep, which I haven't seen the keep either. Um that's next on on my list to to watch, but it's uh, 
it's the, so the IMDb synopsis of the keep is Nazis are forced to turn to a Jewish historian to help in battling the ancient demon that they inadvertently freed from its prison. What the fuck? Yeah. So that's a Michael Mann movie. And then you go, you know, he, he does Manhunter in 86 and then he doesn't do another featured film for six years. And that's the last of the Mohegans and Daniel day Lewis. And then jumps <clears throat> to heat and then the insider and then Ali like th- those are just those are just such different movies and that's I just really appreciate him a lot <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so anyways that that's our uh, those are our media hot takes we had uh, some diverse media hot takes there and um, pl- plugs what else you got going on so we have some you're gonna you're gonna give us some more stuff in the future too right you're gonna you're, yeah, gonna, so- you're gonna be writing for us for a little while so a little more long term, probably shooting for this around around the turn of the year, um, around New Year, is a originally was just gonna be like the best albums of twenty twenty. Then the more I thought about that, the more it's like, well that's fucking boring and I'm also not a music critic and I can't really carry <laughs> yeah. a written article on like strictly talking about music. So what I am doing is a uh, sort of like don't know what I'm calling it yet, but the the music that sort of shaped my my year because it was a very formative year for me i think as it was a lot of people had a lot of personal stuff going on in addition to everything that happened in the world and um you know music has always been important to me and it's just been like going through um stuff that i listened to that came out this year and that came out any other year um there's like a bit of a skew towards 2020 releases just because like i stay up to date with like artists that i like and what they release but there's pretty diverse selection um timeline wise with with what i've got so far but yeah i'm uh it's like more personal than like a call of duty review um so i'm like trying to put you know not that i'm not putting care into into the black ops review not that i've started to write that yet because i just started the game um but you know it's more of like a like a, a personal reflection and i uh I'm happy with where it's at so far and I am looking forward to wrapping it up and actually getting it out there. Cause I, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm going to be proud of it by the end. Yeah. I think, you know, we, we rely on drew to, uh, to bring relevant cult, relevant pop culture stuff to us. Right. I mean, I focus mostly on TV and movies, maybe a little bit of video games if it um if it if it strikes me right, you know, if we mm-hmm. if if it if it's a game I really like. Um but uh you are there for music and uh more video games and we need yeah. that. We need we need that. Um so I appreciate that. Um I'm really looking forward to reading that because I think that uh, you have you have really good insight on music, and uh, I'm old and I I, I need updated. I, I I mean I'm still listening to Blink 182 and um, you're my, listening my, to the Blink 182 uh, Lil Wayne crossover. Yeah, right. What? That's a thing. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. I we'll talk. We'll talk. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right, uh, let's uh, move on and um, review. I'm thinking of ending things, so I'm just going to be up front with everybody listening. This I, this movie, I'm not going to attempt to do a non spoiler section, mostly because I don't even know 
if I if us spoiling it for if you've if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably seen the movie. I don't really care about spoiling it for you. Um, if you haven't, obviously stop listening now and go watch it. If you're a fan of Charlie Kaufman, um, I imagine that you've already watched this. So, if you're a fan of Charlie Kaufman, are you okay? Are you are you okay? You need a hug, man. Come here. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I you know I would say that after so Charlie Kaufman is probably known most for his writing skill. Would you agree with that? I mean, he's He's known for being a writer. He's written the the thing about him is like he he wrote for like the Dana Carvey show, uh, Ned and Stacy, mm-hmm. uh, the Trouble with Larry, like these comedy shows. Um, Get a Life, which have you ever seen? Do you know what Get a Life is? I do not. So Get a Life is the Chris Elliott. Uh, he he Chris Elliott got his own show in the early nineties called Get a Life, and it's freaking weird and out there and it's you would you could imagine charlie kaufman writing that but he's also written movies like obviously being john malkovich human nature confessions of a dangerous mind and that's and uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind um, synecdoche new york synecdoche new york um but those are movies that he directed so he's directed synecdoche new york all right anomalisa and now i'm thinking of anything so you know he's written other movies that i um, really enjoyed and what I found drew and I'm just gonna be honest here I don't know that I'm too much of a fan of his direction <laughs> um, because I went back and listened to mine and Collins review of Anomalisa uh, which is stop-motion animation uh, about a guy who is just a terrible human being who cheats on his loved ones and is just basically mentally ill but anyways i i didn't really care for that movie that much and um the first time watching i'm thinking of ending things i didn't i didn't particularly care for it either um i think schenectady new york is my favorite charlie kaufman work um even better in my mind than internal sunshine as well as mine um but as far as you know him directing movies to me it is uh the pinnacle of his direction is did, have you seen synecdoche new york i've been meaning to for so long um i'm a fake fake fan a fake fan um i i know i will like it too because so many people have told me to watch synecdoche new york they'll be like oh yeah you'll you'll fuck with this and then i haven't because i'm a bad friend and a bad movie watcher <laughs> it is um i think it's it's brilliant in uh, a lot of ways and it is uh it is the essence of charlie kaufman but what did you think of I'm thinking of ending things? I thought it was really annoying the first time I watched it. Um, and because, like, the only other Charlie Kaufman film I have seen, and, you know, maybe I'm tattling on myself a little bit here, is Eternal Sunshine. And I've read, like, 200 pages of Ant Kind. Mm-hmm. Um, that book is so fucking long. But. <laughs> It's like 700 pages. What do you want from me? Um, and I, I like Eternal Sunshine. I I also find it... It can be a little precious with itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... Yeah, like I, I, I think... like it. When I watched that movie for the first time, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I more or less get what this is going for. Um, 
it feels a little bit at times like I'm thinking of ending things as trying to be like dense for the sake of being dense and be like, oh, we're we're intertwining. And like now that I've seen it a second time, I I think it clicked for me a lot more. Um, and like I I am comfortable saying I I do enjoy this movie quite a bit. Um, but it throws so much at you in terms of the way it's structured and also like all these like literary and media references that it's making and um just what it's doing with like oh you know are are we are we fully spoiling this movie yeah oh yeah for sure okay yeah. okay um i just didn't know if i was allowed to say anything yet oh yeah like, spoiler, oh is spoiler, yeah. is the uh, uh, fucking it doesn't help that both the main actor's name is jesse <laughs> yeah, um the the girlfriend is like oh is she is she real and like you know, by the end of the movie, find not so much. I, I did think that the the janitor being Jesse Plemons's character was mm-hmm. like maybe not projected, but I don't. Maybe I'm a really good guesser, Brian. But I was like, oh, they're like showing this guy a lot, and he like kind of looks like old Jesse Plemons. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was like slowly starting to put the pieces together there. Um, but I think once, fuck, I wish I could remember the quote verbatim but it's when they're driving to the farmhouse initially and she says something along the lines like oh people think that um they're passing through time i think it's the opposite time is passing through us and i think a lot of this movie is about the janitor um old jesse plemons kind of you know reflecting on the failures of his life and imagining this relationship and also how because charlie kaufman is also like in like speeches and like things he's written like even ant kind is like about a media critic is obsessed with how the media we consume kind of shapes how we like place ourselves in the world mm-hmm. um if that makes sense and i think um, this movie does a lot with that, and I think it is, it is super dense. And like, I'm not a, a smart enough, you know, film analyst to to really n- nail down and articulate like everything that this movie does that's smart. And I still don't think it's like incredible. Um, but I went from like, if we're talking letterboxed stars, from like a, a two and a half to a three and a half. So you know, we're moving up in the world. I um. I had a similar experience with it. I definitely, I think you liked it maybe a little bit more than I did on uh, the second time through. And we'll get, we can get more into maybe why that is in a minute. But I definitely agree with what you're saying here. When, when you talk about um, the, his obsession with, with the way um, art is consumed in our place with art. Uh, and it, it's, I think that he is a little bit hard a lot of times on his viewers um, and is in in some ways disrespectful, which I, I don't necessarily I, – I don't think it comes from a place of disdain, but I think he, he feels misunderstood, so he wants you to be confused, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, you know, this film – I think is interesting in a lot of ways because we are positioned as 
the young woman is the main character, right? She is the one, she's the protagonist in the very beginning. She's the one that we're following. And we're not sure about Jesse Plemons. You know, we're worried about when she gets there, the, what, what's happening. You know, it plays out like a horror film in the middle. Um, this, this movie is very weirdly structured. So the, you know, the first half of this film takes place all in the car and it's very much just conversation back and forth. And then they get to the house, and it's um, it it's all it's almost like a horror film in a lot of ways. There's a lots of weird shit happening, and um, the Yule log, <laughs> yeah, uh, and the you know the dinner table scene in particular is 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 uh, it's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie, honestly. Um, but also, I the the other thing I think about this movie is how it ends and um you you know you mentioned that it's this movie is basically the janitor is thinking about how he met this girl which we don't know her name but um played by jesse buckley like you mentioned we have jesse plemons and jesse buckley the two jesses are the lead they're kind of leads i guess um but you know older Jesse Plemons is looking back and saying like, wow, I could have had this relationship and, uh, I blew it is the way I view it. Um, is that he didn't take the chance, um, when he, when he had it. And he's also, mm-hmm. he's setting it. And, and so a lot of this is, and, and I'll be, I'll be frank with you. I read some stuff about the book that this is based on. And he obviously changed, um, quite a bit from the book. Um, and in the book, the 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 janitor um pretty gruesomely kills himself um and he is looking back on his life and he's looking at all his regrets and um there's this woman who he wishes he would have asked out and um in the book he actually is the woman um if that makes sense um it's really it's a really strange book obviously um but he he it ends with him killing himself whereas this movie ends with him on stage basically yelling at all these characters and saying like i wish i would have done this and maybe killing himself in the truck freezing to death is that the way you interpreted it i mean you see the truck like totally covered in snow Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of what i gathered i yeah i don't I think it's a little on the nose by the end where it's like, okay, yeah, we, we understand, like I get what I'm supposed to interpret out of this. Um, but also like having like a gruesome suicide at the end of the movie is like, I don't know, like very few directors handle people killing themselves. Well, (laughs) that's true. Yeah. Films in like in a tasteful manner and whatever. Um, yeah, I think, I think like, and I I haven't read anything about the book. Um, I don't. You know, you would know better than I would. Um, but if that's like, the the major change, I mean that and however, it's written so that he's the woman. I don't entirely understand, but I I'm sure I'm sure it uh, justifies itself. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, well, there's that scene. There's that scene um, in where she's hugging the gender in 
the movie, right? Yeah. And I, th- so, man, I wish I could remember, and I'm not going to, sorry, I'm not going to right now pull it up real fast, but I read, like, an article about the differences in the two. And basically, that scene, they meld into one, and he goes back to his locker, and you realize, like, oh, the girl never existed. And you get that in the film. I mean, maybe she did exist, but they never had a relationship. Um, yeah, and I guess my my interpretation, too, is a lot of, like, the the middle chunk of the movie where it feels like a lot more horror thrillery is kind of her realizing that she's a fantasy. Yes. Right. Um, and kind of like the, the existential horror that comes out of that realization. Um, and like whatever that opens up like a million other questions about these characters and how the world of this film operates outside of it which doesn't really matter but that's just how my brain works um yeah this it is like this feels like the type of movie that some smart guy is gonna write like a a 50 page essay on like three years um and i'm gonna read it and i'll be like oh yeah that that is how i feel about this actually (laughs) yeah right (laughs) Uh, no i totally agree with i Man, the the ending unfortunately is just too on the nose. Like I, I don't know. You know, sometimes you change an ending because, uh, well, frankly, it works better in a, on paper than it does on screen. You know, and that that happens because it's true. Um, but I just that ending just seems so like the that scene just seemed like he's basically explaining the movie in a way, right? Like he's explaining yeah. what you just saw. And I I've heard like okay, well that's um that's uh him critiquing critics and i just think that i didn't really get that maybe that is what it is but it just doesn't seem it it felt like on the nose like he's explaining his movie and that just seemed really odd um so it does i guess in, a, in one way make more sense of him being like um a cr- critiquing uh, a critic um i guess yeah i also i also think that if that's what it's going for that's like insanely fucking annoying um <laughs> like i <laughs> I think, like, and for the most part, this movie does it really well because, you know, if it's going for sort of, like, how he's viewing his memory. Because, like, okay, this is also, like, not really a movie about memory, but it's about you viewing your place in the past, I guess. Because, like, how he's viewing a young version of himself isn't accurate to how it really was Mm -hmm. and um but but all these like you know showing whether it's like books or like monologues and speeches and films um like you know what you watch and like what you consume shapes sort of how you how your mind sort of pictures things and i think that's what i like him going for better than like yo fuck the critics like y'all don't understand what i'm about it's like dude you like it feels like he's been doing that for a while i agree um which is like all right oh and i want to go back to like you said earlier uh you didn't like his direction personally which i agree with um i don't i there are a lot of movies that have done like the is this movie four by three i believe it's four by three yeah it's four by three um there's like the lighthouse was one one it's like okay yeah um it's like how many how many numbers distracting just distracting but at any rate um like 
I, I have nothing against films doing that. I think a lot of movies have done it really well. Um, but this movie feels like it's begging in a lot of shots to be like reposted on that one perfect shot Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like, look, look how beautiful in, in the, <laughs> the direction of this movie is, which right. is like uh, definitely a, a stylistic choice. And I don't think it's necessarily like bad. Um, but when like a movie can be like over directed and I think this movie teeters a little bit on being over directed to an extent if that I, makes sense I agree I, I totally agree like from a, from a from a visual standpoint it yeah well in okay so here's the thing is like a lot of the visuals don't have meaning there's no justification for them like yeah. you just see something and, and 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 again maybe he's smarter than I am maybe I'm missing something you said maybe somebody will write something in five years and it's like oh I guess I missed that but like like I'm thinking for instance like there's a scene at the when they're at the dinner table like um she glances down at at someone's foot I can't remember it's mother and it's like this grotesque just like foot right and it, but there's no why is that what is the purpose of that and it just seems like he it was like something he had to put in there I don't know if it's in the book I don't know and then it's like the swirling camera thing. It just seems so unnecessary. It doesn't do anything. Like, it just is a little disorienting, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, of the, the limited experience I have with other Charlie Kaufman films being, and I guess, was, um, uh, uh, fucking, why am I blanking on the name of this movie? Jesus Christ. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That wasn't directed by him. Was no, it? no, no. That was um, Spike Jones, who he right, worked right. with. Um, yeah, you know, obviously, multiple um, times. Who I think is much. Sorry, was yeah, right. Uh, who I just. By the way, I think Spike. Sorry, I, I, I'm. It's not Spike Jones. Uh, Michelle Gon, uh, Gondry. Um, oh, okay. directed. Um, Michelle Gondry directed. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Spike Jones directed um, adaptation. But I, I th- and Gondry is, you know, he's kind of out there too, um, as a director, but I think that his, I think Charlie Kaufman's writing is better handled by someone else just to be frank. And that's what I'm, that's what I was kind of getting at with that. Um, it feels like you need someone to rein him in a little bit. Um, he's, he's the George Lucas of movies about, uh, white guys who want to kill themselves. Um, <laughs> wait a minute. Can you say that again? I want to, I want to absorb huh? this. Okay, so you know, George Lucas, Star Wars prequels, you know maybe maybe needed somebody to uh, maybe need some checks yes. and balances there. Uh, Charlie Kaufman, you know we have this movie about a depressed white guy who wants to kill himself. You have every right. other movie he's ever made, right, every right. book he's ever written. Yeah, he wrote one book. Yeah, he's George Lucas of movies about <laughs> depressed white guys who want to kill themselves. Is that a controversial statement, Brian? <laughs> no, I just love it. Okay, that's... Um... Oh, oh I, I felt like I was about to get ridiculed. No, 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 no. My, no. my heart dropped for a second. <laughs> no, I just wanted to fully absorb what you were saying. That was... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that is uh, probably the most brilliant thing that you've ever said. I, oh, my get, God, I, I'm touched. I completely agree. He is the George Lucas of white guys who want to kill himself. <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry. I tried to make you... Uh, detour yourself go go on yeah, no it's all good um yeah it, it it feels like at a certain point in again like i i do like this movie quite a bit um not upon first viewing there are still like things that annoy me about it um but i think overall what it's going for is like very it's like by the end pretty haunting um 
and like existentially terrifying both to the viewer and to the characters because like oh shit like what am i without memory you know like (laughs) shit like that well Um, and and i think as sorry to cut you off but i think as as unrelatable as charlie kaufman's films can be to most there are aspects of his filmmaking and particularly his writing his writing is really relatable there you know you can pull quotes from Schenectady, New York, or this, or Anomalisa, that if just out of context, if you just, like, uh, here, for instance, um, young the uh, Jesse Buckley's character says, other animals live in the present, humans cannot, so they invented hope. Just, I mean, it's... That right there, basically, like, we invented hope, but we also, we, we rely on our memories. Like, how many of us sat down and think about no matter how great our life is, you know, no matter how good our life is going at, the, at this point, do we, everyone sets down at one point or lays in their bed and thinks about what if I would have made this choice? What if I would have chose to be with this person? What if I wouldn't have uh, chose this path? And or like, we, oh, remember, remember when things were better and I fucked it up. Yes, um, exactly. And that's what Charlie Kaufman is, is great at is forcing you to kind of look at these characters in that in that light and and it makes you it, it makes you look inward and think about that and, you know I, I left this film particularly last night laying down and, and thinking about that and thinking about it is like you know um there are certain aspects of my life that i regret but also like i dwell in the hopeful things too a lot more than i probably should Right. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's what he does. He does spark those conversations within yourself. Yeah. And I think and I, I think this is a lot less funny than any other Charlie Kaufman. Oh, I completely I've agree. Consumed. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I'm, and like I think that is also like this is a has like this film does have relatable aspects to it. But I think something like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is immediately relatable to like anyone who watches it like there's so much to pull from a movie like that and part of it's because you know there's like all this like weird dry humor that he interjects into it right um that i think like lightens it up a little bit um but also just because yeah like you were saying he is the master of revealing these like very subtle like universal truths but it's like the second you hear it it's like oh shit like that's that's gonna stick with me forever because like that is like opening something inside my brain that i wish he didn't (laughs) right yeah 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 no i think and like he is like i think a brilliant writer i just think you need someone to uh to to rein him in a little bit in terms of direction and some like creative stylistic choices yeah i totally agree and i i've said that i think i said that with anomalisa too and i he is um he obviously has uh like these grand ideas and i think that um when you're when you're writing something it's it's easy to make these things as grandiose or as big or as like crazy or as thoughtful as you want but when you're actually putting them on on film it it's harder it's it's hard i'm not saying that making or directing a film or editing a film is harder than writing necessarily but in terms of uh of execution it is because you what the words that you put on page are endless and you can do whatever you want but 
there are limitations to making a coherent film. And I think that's the problem. Sometimes, like, I don't I, like. I'm not saying like every film needs to have a coherent um, driving force or that the narrative needs to be straightforward. I mean, there's tons of great films I love that have a, a split narrative or confusing narrative or isn't you the know, devil all the time. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, a linear uh, um, narrative, but. The problem I have, I think, with this movie in particular is he tried to do and he tried to do something he did with very well in Schenectady, New York, and that was have multiple uh, outside of the box timelines and a changing of the narrative, and it, it works in Schenectady, New York, because um, we always understand what's going on. If that makes sense, like so, the the plot is propelled forward. We always the the characters um, are moving linear, even though the story doesn't. In this film, we're not sure who, what characters exist and what characters don't. And you know, I think that that kind of makes the film not as poignant as it it, it, it should be. If that makes sense to you, like I, I I think if we know instead of trying to make it a reveal that because I think in the book. Um, there's a, the, a reveal, like I said, that, oh, that these characters don't exist, that it's actually this this janitor. But, like, the janitor isn't isn't a character to us. We just see glimpses of him. And so when we, like, we're, I don't give two shits about that janitor, even though we're supposed yeah, to think that, no, it's, that it's... There's never, like, a connection to him either. Um, it feels like you're way more detached from him than you are to, to, like, Jesse Buckley's character, who's, like, the least real, supposedly, out of all of them. Exactly, and I think that that's probably my biggest problem with the movie, and that's why I had a hard time connecting. Knowing it, and I think that's why it's better on a second viewing, is I understand who these characters are and how they're related, and you know, and so then you can kind of see, like, oh, okay, now I understand where he's going with the narrative. And um, I just don't think that that's necessarily good for a film, although it does make you want to watch it multiple times. And I'll probably, you know, I said I would never watch this movie again. <laughs> and then I, I think watched I said that too. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like, you know what? Maybe I will watch this, you know, down the road uh, again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, I think ultimately, and this is probably a, a bad philosophy to have as a director. And maybe I'm completely off base here, but I don't think Charlie Kaufman is creating anything, whether it's like, a script that he writes for somebody else or a book or a movie that he's directing. I think he is only really interested in like creating something for himself. And in like, that can be a good and bad thing. Like he, yeah. he is very confident in his ideas. And I, I don't even think that the fact that like you're getting more out of this movie on a second viewing is necessarily because like that's what he was trying to get out of you. I think Charlie Kaufman has it all figured out in his head and then puts it to paper and is like, oh yeah, like I have all my ideas out here. Like it doesn't feel like a movie like, um, shit, what's a, what's another movie where it's like, bro, you gotta watch it twice. Uh, uh, the Christopher Nolan magic movie. Uh, oh, the Prestige. Prestige. Yeah, yeah. Um, like something that was like, dude, the twist is so crazy. Like it's a different movie the second time you watch it. <laughs> um, and this never feels like it's necessarily trying to blindside you like something like that. Um, it just feels like, you know, he's laying out his ideas as they make sense narratively. Yeah, right. And whether or not there's a twist there or something, I think is pretty inconsequential to 
what he's going for. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I, I, so I just, uh, I stumbled upon this article and I wanted to read, if you don't mind, um, read you it so it's this it's by mashable which uh, mashable isn't the best website but this basically uh breaks down the ending of the film differences between the book and the and the movie do you care if i read this yeah for sure so um the author's name is last name is reed i don't know what his first name is but so when i talk when i say reed i'm referring to the author of the book um it says um uh, Coffin and Reed paint two wildly different pictures of how Jake, who is the janitor slash Jesse Plemons character, life ends and what motivated his decision to die by suicide. So this is presuming that I guess he does die by suicide in Coffin's film as well. At the end of Reed's novel, uh, Jake the janitor meets his demise through marked violence as, as the janitor hands Jake a wire clothes hanger and Jake stabs himself through the neck. In the movie, we get a somewhat more peaceful... Um, an animated pig in Oklahoma sing-along. Kaufman has explained his reasoning for so dramatically changing the ending, um, but uh, presenting Reed's narrative through the lens of his own artistic vision, Kaufman crafted a world that exists in a parallel plane to Reed's novel. The ending you prefer, perhaps, is the ending that resonates with you more strongly. Um, So, It just that clarified a little bit for me is that you know okay he definitely does kill himself at the end but it's a more a less violent and a little bit more peaceful death I guess I, I mean I don't know freezing yeah, to death versus stabbing yourself through the neck with a coat hanger I I'm I think I'm a little glad they didn't go with the grotesque yeah, um, right only because like does it need to be like that I don't know um it yeah that I think. Because then people would be like, oh, it's so fucked up how he kills himself, which, like, isn't the point. Right, yeah. Um, and I think I think you, you make the same, like, larger thematic points by having it be far more peaceful and ambiguous as to whether or not he's dead. Like, it's, like, pretty obvious, but they never are, like, super explicit about it. Um, yeah, there, it's a semi-hopeful ending, I guess. Um, cause yeah, I, maybe the heat's on in there. And you know maybe somebody stumbles like it. It isn't. Yeah, there's no. I mean, there's no blood. There's no guts. There's no gore, and it's not as definitive. And I, th- this this article is making some assumptions. I guess still, um, I don't know that I found anything where Kaufman says he absolutely kills himself. I think he probably would would say that he does just because he doesn't probably want to change that much of the ending of the book. Yeah. But I think it's important to like keep in mind too is like Kaufman is very much he likes leaving uh, things up for interpretation too, which is part of his, his, I don't disdain for people who talk about media. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Is, you know, uh, and it's funny because it's like, well, if that's the way you feel like, I mean, part of, at least part of the joy of creating things is getting people talking right i like the the reason i would want to create anything is to maybe stir something within someone that maybe make a positive change that's that would be my goal in art is to make positive change i i want to make a like an mk ultra trigger that <laughs> gets people to do something horrible manchurian candidate style okay yeah like a like a like a funny note in a song that makes people go crazy um it feels like a a plot for a James Bond movie. Um, a little bit. So before we, before we close this out, what, 
was there anything particular in this film that you uh like what was your favorite it's hard to say favorite part but what i'm thinking of is like like i mentioned i really like the middle part but one part uh that really one bit of dialogue because this movie is just it's dialogue heavy and it's it plays out like a play honestly more than anything you could view that i mean this could easy easily be a play right um and uh, honestly that's kind of the way that he writes as well but um when um they're in the house and they're they're kind of um they're just kind of talking and this resonated because i have family members um you know that deal with dementia and or have oh yeah and it's um but the father says you know I'm looking forward to when it's very bad and I don't have to remember that I can't remember. And I just like, yeah, like he's at the point, like just thinking about that is like when you have like people were say like, Hey, you have dementia. And it's like, you're getting to the point where like, it's so bad that you, and you know that you're missing time, but you're looking forward to the point where you can't remember anything. Because you're still like cognizant of the fact that it's a problem and you're not at like the, what is there's, um, Oh, I think it was something that was going on TikTok, but there's this like six hour experimental music album. I haven't listened to it. <laughs> oh, um, I'm not going to, but it's like this is a simulation of like what it's like in the brain as somebody is like going through dementia from the early stages up until like the very end. Mm. Um, and I've like skimmed through it because I'm like, oh, what does that sound like? I'm not about to sit down for six fucking hours. <laughs> um, but it becomes like super abrasive and it's just like noise and it's like horrible up until like the very end then it's just like very serene up until the 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 closing of it um and i think yeah i'm not i'm not about to start like analyzing dementia because i'm not smart and (laughs) like that's not something i can speak on with like any level of expertise but yeah no i think that just reminded me of that and i think yeah that's a a, an upsetting quote <laughs> it's sobering and it but that's the way he writes and that's that's the thing is like i would to be frank with you i would much rather read um charlie Kaufman's works than sometimes i think watching his directed movies and even though i i did enjoy this much more on the second time through it still is it still is like it's rough man it's a rough rough thing yeah um i mean i think i already I think I probably said my favorite quote earlier in the episode about like, time flowing through us now. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, time is what's flowing through us. We're not passing through it. Um, that's when I wrote down upstairs and then I forgot my notebook. Because <laughs> um, I was like, right before, I was like, oh, that's a good quote. That like, And I, I don't think that's as necessarily like, specific as some of the other, like the, the hope one, I think also is like a very resonant quote just because like, that's the type of thing where you hear, and like I said before, it's like, shit, that's a really good point. That's going to be in my head for a while. Um, yeah. And like, what am I supposed to do with this information now that I'm thinking about it? Like, this has the capacity to, like, ruin my life, <laughs> and now I have to not let it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so the um, there's some there like there are some humorous parts too in here. Like I um, looked up some quotes that I try to. So I don't know if you remember this. Uh, the mom says something along the lines of like, uh, like forget Paris with Billy Crystal, and the dad says, "I didn't like that movie. Billy Crystal's a Nancy." Yeah. <laughs> and um, 
the oh, where let me see i just had it oh uh the young woman jesse buckley's character says this is some misogynistic clap trap <laughs> like uh, that line cracks me up every time um just there are like little hits of hints of humor but like you said for the most part it's not as funny as um oh here's um i i had to look one of them up but this is one that i also this goes back to uh what we were saying about like this movie's larger point about uh how we consume media um jesse buckley's character says this she says most people are other people their thoughts are someone else's opinions their lives are mimicry their passion is a quote no their passions this is misquoted i think their passion's a quotation um just like i think kind of like the the central thesis really of what he's getting at with like all the film and literary stuff that he throws in here um damn what a smart guy yeah i mean he he definitely is smarter than than you or i uh and he's definitely how dare you i think i mean honestly i think he could in a lot of ways if he if he just if he honed things differently he could be probably one of the best writers of our generation um but you know yeah Charlie Kaufman, come on the pod. Talk <laughs> about the ending of this movie. Have you ever watched Charlie Kaufman interview? Like, yeah. it, it's he—he he seems like like it's—it's it's like one of those things where it's like I would like to be his friend, but at the same time, it's like how much he doesn't seem like a ton of fun at a party, you know? Like he's a funny guy. Like he's—he's he's yeah. humorous. Um. <clears throat> anyways, all right. Um, anything else you want to say about I'm thinking of ending things? I think I'm I'm pretty satisfied. All right. Well, I forgot to do this plug at the beginning, but email the podcast at calledapop at gmail.com. That's called the K. Oh, you... um, if we're if we're putting out the email, um, we should ask people if anyone has top five directors. Yes, email, that's what I wanted to do at the beginning. Maybe, yeah. There or you go. Our, oh, were you about to say that? No, no, no. I'm, I wish okay, I would have yeah. done that at the beginning. Yeah. Email us your favorite directors. Um, and I don't know if we mentioned this earlier. If you want, give us uh, their best film, in your opinion, and their worst film, in your opinion. Um, that makes for fun conversation, and that's what we're planning on doing a little bit, and love to hear what uh, listeners think. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Genuinely, I'm very curious. Same, same. I, I, I agree. Uh, I wonder if anybody, uh, Charlie Kaufman, I wonder if anybody's favorite director is Charlie Kaufman. That'd be interesting. If your favorite director is Charlie Kaufman, uh, seek psychiatric psychiatric help immediately <laughs> do not email the podcast admit yourself into a psych ward immediately get help uh you're in danger um follow us on twitter at call to pop follow drew at all prior things he you've, you've been on fire lately on twitter i i've really enjoyed your your twitter your twitter thank you i had uh, one last night you know uh first to break 100 likes no big deal about uh, searching on khan academy how to eat pussy <laughs> that was that was for, brilliant that was brilliant for, for, for more content, uh, I'm I'm really a, a Kaufman-esque type figure on Twitter. Uh, for true. more universal truths, uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, I guess, or don't. It's up to you. Uh, so I'm kind of so. All right, two things. I am pretty frustrated with um, Twitter because obviously I follow you. And I, I have it on recent uh, tweets because that's – first of all, the fact that there's an algorithm with Twitter is – did they not understand their own product? Obviously, yeah. they don't. But your tweets never show up in my feed. I have to go to – like like 
it's literally annoying because I have to like I'm like Drew Drew always has gold on Twitter and I have to go back and I'm like oh yeah this didn't pop up in my feed this didn't pop up in my feed so it's frustrating. I'm being, I'm being a shadow band. I think you are at least. I think in I'm going to go me. join Infowars. <laughs> Start your own disinfowars. Oh, um, yeah. But I just I, I wanted to bring this up uh, at the beginning and I, like and uh, I one of you know who to follow recommended who to follow uh, Andrew fans Estonia what is this about? <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was just like a like a bit that I was doing for an hour at like the beginning of quarantine <laughs> um, where I like made a fan account for myself and I was just like making a bunch of tweets from that account. I think they're probably still up. Where it's just like in broken English talking about how like, oh, here in Estonia, we are biggest fan of Andrew. And I was like retweeting him and be like, oh, my God, I love my fans. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> Andrew is so oh. cool and amazing. He has a huge cock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember writing that. I think I got hacked. Um, oh, I mean, I can't believe my Estonian fans would say that. That's so <laughs> kind of you guys. Oh, my God. I'm flattered. I'm blushing. Uh, um, I uh, I'm really upset that I didn't know about this back in April when this happened. Um, but yeah, I just had to bring that up. Yeah, it's, uh, a, it's going Andrew fans Estonia, fastest growing army in the world. Well, I'm following, so if they ever start tweeting again, uh, I'll I be, don't know the login to that account anymore. You don't have to follow it. <laughs> it's too late. I already did. Shit. Um, it's we're gonna get we're it's gonna blow up right right now right right here. Um, all right, <laughs> that's bump. bump. <laughs> Yeah. All right. I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Cold of Pop. Um, anything else from you, Andrew? That's about it. All right. Uh, <laughs> we will catch you on the flip side. Bye.